Yeah, for relentless, y'all. Amen. Amen. They making vortexes and one coming out and then the other one go in. Y'all ain't noticed that, did you? Lord, have mercy. That was incredible. Incredible, incredible, incredible. Um, let's pray. Let's get into this Bible. Father, we thank you for your glory. Um, we honor you and bless you that you've given us the grace to be in a relationship with you. We didn't start this relationship. You sparked it. And so we thank you for the cross. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord God, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to acknowledge someone, and I know they, they're not going to like this, but I want to acknowledge someone in about 1994, um, I went to a college conference called Impact. And um, it was my last year of school. And um, I, I didn't know, now I'm, I happen to be African-American, I, 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 <laughs> I didn't know. Somebody said, you black as a mug, shut up. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I didn't know that there were many African-American men that thought, that could think and that it was okay to be intellectual. And um, this man has inspired me for over 16 years. And I don't know if he even, know, I don't know if he even knows that. Um, but I'd like to acknowledge Dr. Carl Ellis here with us today. Y'all don't even know, but I'm just letting you know. Um, yes, Dr. Carl Ellis. Um, um, he, is, he is a shining star in my heart of the, of, of the tool belt of men who have inspired me to not run away from biblical intellectualism. Um, and and um, he's written a book called Free at Last and several others. And um, just, just a very, 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 very great man. And so I bless God for you, Doc. Love you, man. And thank you for inspiring me. I stand, you're one of the reasons why I'm standing here, man. So I just want to let you know that. All right? Amen, amen, amen. Well, we're back in Ephesians. Um, we're in, we go, one of the things that I like that we get to do is is, is, is I, don't, I don't like running past verses. Um, I, I remember when I did my first time going through the Bible, you know, because I used to spend like literally four to six hours a day just engulfing the Word of God. Um, 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 engulfing, and now I've gone back and just kind of trying to understand it more and more. Um, when you get to the Leviticus, you know, usually people say, okay, he said I'm holy enough. Let me just... But, um, you know, when you get to the temple thread, you know what they made. He's like, I'll just go down to where he's talking about something. But the Bible says every word that God has spoken is, is theopneutos. It's inspired. That means that God didn't miss a beat on anything he's placed in the Holy Writ. And so what we like to do when we go through books is we like to touch on everything. So one of the things that we want to do is we like it for people to shout, but we also like for people when they come off of the high of shouting to be able to walk in biblical obedience. And that, that, means, that means by God's grace that, that, that we will get the, the, the grace and the opportunity and the blessing to, to be able to go over everything. And like, like you hear us say all the time, we must know the faith. Amen? We must love the faith, and we must engage every aspect of who God redeemed us to be. And so today as we get in this passage, this is going to be weighty a little bit, something, something. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just letting you know early. Um, because Paul is, is, is weighing in 
on beginning to kind of alley-oop us into chapter 3 on ecclesiology. Say ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is the study of the nature and purpose of the church. It's the study of our identity of what makes the called out ones, uh, my, my, my assembled ones, my assembled ones. And so we're in verses um, 19 um, to 22. We're going to finish up chapter 3 today. And I'm going to read it, and we're going to talk about what the topic is, and we're going to get in these verses. Verse 19, when you get there, say amen. amen. If you ain't there, say hold up. Oh, that's a few hold-ups this time. Wow, amen, amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. It says, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but now you are fellow citizens with the saints, with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, say joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Mm. In him, you also are being built together, say built together, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For a little while today, I want to talk about the subject, sticky church. The sticky church. Um, I, 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 think, I think one of the most uh, pandemic things that people think through as it thinks to the under 45 crowd is that we don't stick to nothing. Um, um, that we don't remain in anything. That we don't, we don't, we don't have longevity. We're just about momentary uh, philosophical, cultural, and practical bling but really are not about what it means to hang in there. And in this passage, Paul begins walking through our identity in Christ, talking to us about, ministering to us about, engaging us about, and loving us about the theological foundation of what it means to have unity. Say unity. Now, one of the things that makes unity unity is stickiness. Say stickiness. Yeah, he's going to begin as he's building this foundation and developing a theological framework. That means, what do I mean by that? When we say theological framework, we're talking about what in your, what, 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 when you trust Christ as Savior, there are reasons for everything. These reasons of, for everything causes us, based on Romans 12:1, to have our mind transformed. Meaning that now our mind is transformed and now we have a kingdom value system. Um, we, ha we begin to have a, a, a Christian worldview. And so here in this passage, he's talking about the worldview of Ecclesia. My man uh, Larry Osborne in his book Sticky Church says, he says, one, uh, uh, Sticky uh, Teams, he says, one of the great beauties of a truly healthy and unified uh, group of people is that it experiences unity in the healthiest sense of the word. Sticky teams aren't made up of mindless clones. They are made up of widely divergent personalities and viewpoints. Their team members often disagree, but they know how to fight fair. When the battle of competing ideas is over, they march out and present a unified front setting aside their personal preferences 
and I'd like to add, in embracing God's biblical principles. Sadly, however, this kind of unity is hard to find. He said it doesn't come naturally. Even in churches and organizations dedicated to serving the Prince of Peace, too many, thing, too many things work against our unity. The other day I tweeted and it went over to my Facebook. I asked the question, I said, are you sticky? Now, I mean, I said, are you sticky? And what I meant by that is we need sticky people in our lives, I said. Sticky people don't create false ideas, but recognize that running only postpones maturity. Sticky people endure hardship. Sticky people face their greatest fault honestly. Sticky people are dependable. Sticky people are resilient. Sticky people have joy. Sticky people show consistency in the midst of adversity. Sticky people are not afraid of a challenge. Amen. Sticky people are devoted to Jesus. Sticky people draw strength from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you sticky today? We, 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 need, we need stickiness in the body of Christ, and I'm going to show you theologically that you were built for stickiness. You, you weren't built for flightiness. You were built to be connected. You were built to be sticky. You were built to be consistent. You were built to be faithful. And so my man Paul, Ephesians, closing it off, capping off the section on, man, I've rebuilt your relationship with God, vertical, Horizontal. Then we got the vertical deal with one another together. And we got three points here. We got today, we got points. So the foundation of the sticky church, we got the formation of the sticky church, and we got uh, uh, the, the format or the function, the function of the sticky church. All right? So let's look at the foundation. This is, this is thick right here. Now, he goes in, and he's still on our last section, even though he's building a foundation. He says, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Stop. This idea of strangers and aliens is an interesting philosophy that comes back from a few weeks ago when we were talking about we were alienated from the covenants of promise. So, so Gentiles were alienated from God's blessings. The only blessing that we got was common grace. Unless we were, we, were, we were experiencing being what we call being God-fearers to be able to experience what Jews were experiencing as God's redemptive work throughout history, showing snapshots and trailers of the fact that a transformer of everything was coming. We were alienated from redemptive history. We were alienated from understanding the Abrahamic covenant. We were alienated from the Palestinian covenant. We were alienated from uh, uh, the Davidic covenant. We were, we were alienated from the Edenic covenant and the Adamic covenant. We were, we, were, we, we, were, we were alienated from that and unable to experience the fullness and beauty of what it meant to be a representative of Yahweh. We were aliens, we were strangers, and we were not kingdom citizens. And so now through Christ, the, 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 through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the richness of the torn skin, uh, through, 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 through the beastiness of the rusty nails being driven through his uh, hands um, and his feet and his piercing side, we have now been given entryway into God's ways of thinking and God's way of doing things no longer being strange but indigenous. So, so we have indigeneity, meaning we're from the kingdom now. See, 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 we're no longer strangers. Listen, when I first came to Philly, you know what I'm saying, moved to Philly, Philadelphia give you a hard time, man. Woo! If you ain't from, where you from? 
He ain't from Philly. You know, do you like all like that, walk off like this? And why everybody walk off like that? You know what I'm saying? Because you ain't from here, dog. You know, you don't know nothing about what's happening here, fam. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, dang. The brotherly love, I'm getting shoved right about now. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but then after you love them for a while, man, Philadelphians, man, act like you. Listen, you become a part of the clan of Philadelphia, it's over, right? That's how God treated us. He was standoffish at one point. But then through Christ, he said, come on in. You're part of the family. Now he says, we're fellow citizens. So he said, you were strangers and you were aliens. Now, before I say that, what's funny is we were strangers and aliens to God's redemptive work through Christ and what was pointing towards him based on a Genesis to Malachi. Now, what's dope, though, is First Peter says we're still strangers and aliens. <laughs> see, 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 we're strangers and aliens, but we're not strangers and aliens to God. We're strangers and aliens because we're a distinct community. Oh, let me stop here for a second. See, your purpose, as see, what's my purpose? I want to know my purpose. The preacher said, oh, get your divine destiny and your purpose. And I want my purpose. Your purpose is to be distinct. You're looking for God to call you to ministry. I want to be in this. And I want, I want, my, my purpose is to have a business. My purpose is to start a church. My purpose is to, is to do, that ain't your purpose. Your purpose centrally is to, because of Christ, be distinct. In other words, you were called to weirdness. <laughs> you, were called, you were called to be biblically weird. You were, you were called to be a weirdo, but an attractive weirdo. You know, you're not like the quirky person to walk around, and you, you kind of stink a little bit, and you got books under your arm, and you walk. You know, not that. I ain't talking about, that, that's not, see, that's repulsive. You know what I'm saying? We ain't talking about, we ain't talking about that type of, we talking about, you know what I'm saying? We talking about, you know, looking over your shoulder, something, scratching and carrying on. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's. That's, that's like, that's another type of weirdness, you know what I'm saying? Got to pray for you. But we're talking about biblical weirdness that's marked by being transformed by the gospel. Now he says, now he says, now this is all the foundation of it, right? Of stickiness. All it's got to do with stickiness. Then he says, you are fellow citizens. Say fellow citizens. Now we've been grafted in as citizens of the kingdom. Jesus Christ, one of his his first sermon was a very, very short sermon. After that, he, he preached long periods of time. But his first sermon was very, very simple. Mark says in Mark chapter 1, verses uh, 14 through about the 17th verse, it says, And Jesus went about proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, saying, Metanoia for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, a metanoia, in other words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, he was calling, he was proclaiming that a new citizenship has come available. Through his incarnation, from coming from heaven to earth, by God's grace, now he's calling out, where are all my citizens at? Right? So what he's saying, what does it mean to be a citizen? It doesn't mean to just have a green card and you to, you're still an alien but not really a part. In other words, he, wants, he puts you fully in and you have the DNA of the place that you're actually from. In other words, when Jesus Christ uh, bought you by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, he removed your fleshly ethnicity and made it spiritually connected ethnicity. Therefore, you don't need a card. You get a new heart. Your new heart is your new citizenship in Jesus Christ that now not makes you in the kingdom but from the kingdom. So you got a brand spanking new membership, citizenship. So there are expectations of this citizenship. 
There is no such thing as a citizenship without a government. There is no such thing as a citizenship without some rules. There is no such thing as a, as a citizenship without a geography and a sphere by which the citizenship is activated. If you are a citizen, there are things that should reflect that you should pledge your allegiance to based on who you are, whose you are, and where you're from. And if you don't know who you are, whose you are, and where you're from, you won't know your purpose and abuse is inevitable. And so, and so we're called. We're called. Pastor Larry talked about bearing fruit last week. He said there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. Amen in nine different languages. <laughs> and there is no such thing as a Christian that does not bear the marks of being a citizen. So having fruit means fruit is the ID card that shows you whether or not you're in a relationship with God or not. So, so we're called, but, but, but see, you can't become sticky until you've been changed. And so uh, this is God's work now. What's powerful about this is God did this. You didn't make yourself sticky. He made you sticky. He made you sticky by making you strange. Because he had to make you strange and an alien to the stuff you used to like so that you cling to him more hard. That's, that, that's, that, see, see, when God, listen, I mean, if God removes something from you, if God, and, and you're getting frustrated about it, God is saying, I want you to cling less to what you like, and I want you to learn to cling to what I like. So what makes you strange is the fact that I've changed your mind, I've changed your affections, and I've changed your direction, and all I want out of you right now in my son's name is stickiness. Say stickiness. Yeah, stickiness, stickiness. So we need people in the Christian camp that's sticky. But, it, but you're positionally sticky. But not practically sticky. So we must grow in our stickiness. We'll talk about that in a second. And he says, with the saints. I like that. <coughs> I remember I grew up in Catholic school. I went to Catholic school. And, man, I, you know, I wasn't a Christian. I was in there. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us, and now at the hour of death. Amen. I saw the stations of the cross, all that, right? Now, I'm not dogging our friends. <clears throat> but I remember, we y'all going to laugh, but <clears throat> we did an Easter event. And I had to be the Easter bunny. <clears throat> now, I don't know if y'all ever put on one of them suit things. What? Them joints is hot. I mean, I mean, you could just put that on and walk around and lose weight. Just, you know, you ain't even got to work out. You just lose weight, right? You barely can breathe. Your breath is working on you badly because all, anyway. <laughs> but I remember um, my friend, her, her, aunt, her grandmother was Catholic. And she gave us something. I was like, what's this? You know, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gully, you know, I'm, I know Jesus near me at all. In me, nothing. I'm looking at it like, man, you know, but I still, like, wasn't playing with stuff. You know what I'm saying? She said, what this saint does? I said, this saint? What did he do? And you talk to this saint, and he'll tell you how to. I was like, see, I can't. See, I'm still scared of the dark, and I'm 16, so you can't have me talking to some invisible person 
Like, and so I was like, I'm not about to do that, but I respected her, right? But what was interesting is there was a saint for everything. And so I thought saint was a special group of people um, that were able to be perfected in a unique way, in a unique relationship with Christ based on their own merit and based on their own strength. But then when I read the Bible and began to look at what a saint is, a saint is every single person that's been transformed by the renewing power of Jesus Christ. So y'all walking right here, oh, I'm a sinner, and I'm, t- I'm trifling. Yeah, stop focusing on you. Guess what? The craziest book in the Bible. I'm going to tell you, the, see, I struggle with all this other doctrine. I'm going to tell you the doctrine I struggle with. I struggle with the doctrine of God changing people. Let me tell you why. I'm in 1 Corinthians, and I'm reading 1 Corinthians, right? And I'm reading down. Now, you know, I know they were wild as a mug. I mean, they were wild. I mean, sex everywhere. Everybody preaching at the same time. Tongues, discernment, healing going on. And can you imagine if everybody individually stood up and started exercising their spiritual gift in the gathering together? And tell them, stop prophesying, I got to tell you something. You know, and so everybody's just in the gathering. Somebody stand up, I pledge allegiance to them. And then you got all this going on at the same time. Then you got people having sex with each other. Uh, rich people acting real funny towards uh, other people by bringing their whole feast um, to the communion table. So they didn't know the difference between communion and the feast. And so the Lord's table, cats falling asleep, whoo, going to sleep, dying at the table, right? Now, all this happening, and guess what Paul says? To the saints at Corinth. I said, this is, man, I said, saints. I said, I said, I said, man, like ain'ts, but not saints. He put an S in front of that. He translated it wrong. To the ain'ts at Corinth, right? But what's interesting, as foul and as trifling, husbands and wives not having sex with each other, and the husband falling in with prostitutes. That's in, the, in there. He going to see a prostitute. In the midst of their wildnessity, amen, God called them through Paul a saint. Just as on your worst day, your righteousness is filthy rags, on your worst day, Jesus' righteousness is the greatest currency in the world to you, family. And, and, And so as we look at and we see the fact that God has actually transformed us, we're no longer ain'ts, now we're saints. Say saint. Now we go from saint to members of the household. I wish I can get past something. All right. Dang it. Help me, Holy Spirit. Oh, man. I can, I'm a good God of my, what, what did Martha know? Yeah, all right. Members of the household of God. Members of the household of God. Now, now this is dope to me, right? You know, um, membership of the household of God. This, this idea of membership of the household of God means with a focus on association and common cause and belief. <coughs> association in both common cause and belief. That's what membership means. M- membership, membership is paid for, so you're an eternal lifetime member. Okay? Now, that means now all of us kinfolk. Now, some of y'all, the Northeastern people say, what's a kinfolk? You know? Like, when I was in the South... I'd be walking, you know, and when I went first, I went to Dallas when I was in grad school. Dudes had finger waves in the mid-90s. It was weird to me, right? With a shag, like, like Ralph Tresman back during, you know, can you get it? Can you get it yet? Can, anyway, but anyway, I miss y'all. But anyway, so cats got finger waves with a shag. I come around the block. Dudes like, what's up, can't folk? I said, what's, a, what's, what's, 
What did he say? He said, well, can't fall. A fool. I said, fool? <laughs> but what I found out was that was a term of endearment to say, come on, you can, we, we, we love you like that. Guess what we are? Black as I am, the whitest white person and Asianest Asian person in here is my kinfolk. We kinfolk. So now, because we're members of the household of God, we family, we kingdom cousins now. We brothers and sisters right now, you know what I'm saying? So, so we're deeply, tightly knit to each other. But the question is, what does membership of the household of God biblically look like based on us having common cause and common belief? There's several things I'd like to point out. First off, commonality of love. That means we love one another. We love Christians in the comprehensive sense of what it means to love a Christian. That means telling you what you like to encourage you, but telling you what you don't like to help you grow. Oh, it got quiet on that part. So commonality of love, that means you love based on God's definition of love, not man's puny uh, creation of what love is based on a fleshly philosophy of love. Number two, commonality of faith. When you look at 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus, Paul uses trustworthy statement, the faith, the truth. He's talking about those body of teachings that makes Christianity Christianity. <clears throat> that is repentance, the deity of Christ, the trinity, the essence of who God is, the gospel. All of those different things is what makes Christianity Christianity. Uh, uh, um, um, the, a commonality of fruit, we talked about that. Commonality of commitment. And commonality of mission. <clears throat> Remember, <clears throat> we're called here. <laughs> to be edified and developed as disciples. Being called and developed and edified as a disciple has a purpose to it. Being a part of the household of God means we have commonality of who God has called us to reach and, uh, and engage with the gospel. That means we're about ministering to lost people. Lost people. Raggedy people. See, I like the rugged Dude, like when I'm walking, walking here from the house four blocks away, I like walking past the rugged dude that's in the brownstone and his house smells like fresh fried fish and he's standing out on the block singing rocks. I like that dude because I'm trying to build as much relationship as I can with him. Why? Because I want to know. And the kid that's from Erie, Pennsylvania that's in one of them other brownstones that come out going to class, skipping the class with their bag on, guess what? I want to see them reach with the gospel. People coming from other places. Listen, I want to see families, people with seven kids. I want them. I want to see Jesus get at them. I want to, listen, all of us should be commonly looking at that. We want to see the city. Listen, we got to have a commonality as a household. It ain't just about you getting what, I ain't getting dead. And I, and the worship, I don't like the worship. And the children's ministry. And I got, and listen, all you do is talk about what church is built for you versus why you were built to be the church. I need the pastor to be my, I need the thing, I need the, I need sister so and so, I need to be in, they too clickers, they too, uh, shut up, help me Holy Spirit, get your behind in action, get to work and get on mission, who's the last person you told that Jesus saves, who the last person that's dying on their way to hell that you've communicated the gospel with, how are you leveraging your life for God's kingdom? That's what membership is. We don't, we, we not, listen, if you're here for this to be your favorite church, we're going to fail. 
That's my favorite song. Care about your favorite church? We ain't up in no competition. We a household. We a household of transformed aliens with hair weaves and bad shape-ups. Amen. Natural, unnatural, synthetic. Amen. Paid for, unpaid for, natural growth. Listen, that's who we are. We're members of his household. <coughs> and, and that's whose table we're at. This, this is important for us to understand. This is important for us to understand. So now, he goes further. Now we about to, 100 feet deep. You know what I'm saying? I remember I was on a boat. I don't like, I don't like heights. And I don't, I don't really care for deep water where I, you know, I'm just, I can't, where I can't see what's going on in the water, right? So this dude, me and my wife hang with him on a houseboat. And man, they laughing because they know, it, it, uh, you know, it was, it was some of my, my mentors and they happen to be white and they know, they said, they said, E, we want you to go water skiing. <laughs> and I said, well, where I come from, <laughs> Negroes don't go water skiing. I'm just letting you know. You know, but I said, I'm going to be in the boat with you, dog, you know. And so he said, I said, just tell me how things are going, though. Like, because I need to know this, because we got in this speedboat, right? And I'm just, I'm like, I don't like, I don't like some things, right? So the things are going, pow, pow, pow. And I'm, and I'm like this. I'm like, Jesus, keep me near the cross. And then I'm looking at the thing, and it says 50, 100, 300. Five. I said, what is that? He said, the depth. I almost fainted. Like, I was just like, oh, you know. <laughs> well, right now, we were in, we were in 10 now we're about to go 300, right, feet deep. Now, not just for deepness sake, because he goes right here and he gives probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible, really theologically rich, really deep, and really impactful for my life, and I believe it will be impactful for yours. He says, and we're still on the foundation, it says, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. All right, now, this, this is what needs to happen and us to need to understand. <clears throat> Built here is the word that's pointing later is going to talk about what it means to be edified, be strengthened or created, right? Um, so here it means to engage in a building process of personal and corporate development. To engage in a, in a building process of personal and corporate development. Now, the verbs here, interestingly enough, are all in the passage. Meaning that it wasn't something done by anyone else. This is a, I, I classify based on Wallace's Greek grammar a divine passive. Meaning that when it's a divine passive, meaning that the agent of action is not the person being spoken to, but somebody greater, specifically here, God. So God is the builder, ultimately. Okay? We don't build. He builds. He just uses us as tools in his hand. All right? So now, when he says upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, it makes me think back beautifully to Jesus' statement where, where whenever I get discouraged, whenever I get afraid of how things are going with Epiphany Fellowship, 
whenever I, I my, my little old, a fluttery, weak heart gets frustrated, I, I, I have to get in the, the text to remind myself that I'm a saint by saying, upon this rock, I will build. I like that. Uh, he said, I will build my church. Who's who? Oh, so this ain't past the East Church. Wow. So whoever is the owner is responsible for its nurturing, its development, and its growth. So therefore, I must submit to the actual builder. So he said, I, he said I'm just upon this rock, talking about himself, playing on words with Big Peter. And he says, uh, uh, he says, he says, and the gates of Hades won't get nothing done here. So right here in this verse, he says, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So how are the apostles and prophets a part of this foundation? Well, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about a temple being built. The euphemism and the imagery is figurative, pointing to everybody that's a part of the body of Christ being bricks and stones. All right, so here he says everybody that's in the building project of God that's going to take till Jesus returns to complete has a role. The apostles and prophets here are New Testament apostles and New Testament apostles. I'm going to explain in a second. New Testament apostles and New Testament prophets. Okay, we're going to explain that they're two of each, two different types, but only three of them are functioning here in this text in the New Testament. So, <clears throat> we'll see later in chapter 3, verse 5, that both were recipients of God's revelation. But the apostles and prophets generally point to the unity of purpose, but distinction of function. So the mutual unity of purpose is to be a pioneering gospel ministers who break ground on the eternal building project called the church. Now, there are two types of apostles. There's the office of the apostle, and there's the gift of the apostle. You will hear in, I believe it's Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, that's the office of apostleship. And there were only 13 people who held that office. Now, the gift of apostleship, I'll get to when we get to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So, the apostleship here in this text, what did they do? The apostles, this is what they did, and this is what made them apostles. So, the apostle, the role of the apostles was to start churches <laughs> through proclaiming the gospel, Acts chapter 13, 13, Acts chapter 14, 21 through 23, making the first group of disciples, uh, of, of those people that trusted Jesus, uh, teaching foundational Christian truth, using signs as pioneering credibility for the gospel message. Disciple new converts, appoint elders, establish gospel stability, and for some, write scripture. Now, if you see somebody today that calls themselves an apostle and they're not starting anything, but they're just going around talking to Christians only, or um, they um, are, are pastoring a church, they're probably not an apostle. In the office sense. Now, somebody can have, we believe, I'll talk about later, the gift of apostleship. We don't believe that that's gone. We believe that the gift of apostleship, because that's a pioneering starting role that has to do with starting and strengthening churches and developing gospel credibility to set up God's people to win. I'll talk about it more when we get to a prophet. Y'all still there? All right. Prophets. So, these prophets are not Old Testament prophets, even though 1 Peter chapter 1, the last verse, talked about they developed some things for us. Here, the foundation of the church is built by the New Testament prophets. Now, what distinguishes them from the apostles, although an apostle like Paul and others could have a prophetic gift, um, 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 this prophetic deal here is the gift, not the office. We believe that the last office 
prophet was your boy John the Baptist. He was a transitional prophet. Now we got New Testament prophets based on the gift of prophecy in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. We believe that this has not ceased, by the way. Now, this, this gift of prophecy was a unique gift that was bigger than just individual development of individual Christians. But it was given for both evangelism and edification. Now, here, the main point of this is evangelistic prophetic utterances that help the leadership or the people of God remain focused on God's mission. You think I'm lying? Okay, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3 you see that Paul and, 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 and the prophets and the teachers up in Antioch, it was a multi-ethnic church, and the leaders was up in there praying, you know, at somebody's crib. He's walking around, we bless you, God. We honor you, God. He was worshiping and fasting. Bless you, God. Paul, shabakin and carrying on, you know what I'm saying, them, them having a good time. And the Holy Spirit got all up in that thing, and then all of a sudden, they're worshiping, they're fasting. They got a word from God. And they said, Holy Spirit said, set aside Paul and Barnabas, for the work of ministry. What was that? What was the prophecy about? The prophecy wasn't about you're about to get something. You're about to no, it was uh, yeah, y'all, yeah. It was about it was about the kingdom and it was about God. See, because Paul and Acts said this for free. Acts chapter 9, Paul got his calling. I'm gonna show you how many things you must suffer my name say. You will go before kings, you will go before poor people, right? Then go over to Acts chapter 13. He submits himself to the local leadership of the Antiochian church, and he didn't go out to do a ministry that the leadership didn't appoint and send him to under the unction of the Holy Ghost. Somebody ought to hear me. So then Paul is going back to Jerusalem. Prophets start coming out, four daughters coming out, saying, don't go to Jerusalem. One dude came, snatched his belt off. I thought that was weird, but he put it around his waist, <laughs> right? Tied himself. He said, the cat didn't own this belt. Many trials and tribulations await him in Jerusalem. Guess, it didn't say don't go. It just says, if you go, it's going to be pretty bad. His mind goes back to the day he met Jesus. And it says, I must show you how many things you must suffer for my namesake. So the prophetic utterance wasn't a deterrent of his calling. It was a confirmation of his calling. Somebody ought to hear me today. Sometimes you need to get a good prophecy. Hell is going to break loose. Stuff's going to be bad. Everything's going to be rugged. But every now and then, it needs to I'm tired of, you're going to get a Lexus. You're going to get a house. You're going to no. The increase sometimes comes through decrease. Oh, I wish I had some help at Epiphany Fellowship this morning. And listen, the prophecy should impact everybody. Not an individual. <laughs> so most prophecy that we hear is planned. Now we believe in, at the, first that's, <laughs> Pastor Ellis just heard me. First Corinthians, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21 says, do not despise prophetic utterances, but what? Examine everything carefully. Just because you said the Holy Ghost said it don't mean I got to listen to your behind. Know why? Because you're just trying to stop me from judging what you said because the Bible says that the spiritual man appraises all things, not just some things. But Paul also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, these things I have written to you in order that you may not stray far from what's on paper. That's why when that prophet came two, three years ago in the Pivney Fellowship trying to prophesy to the students, I told him to get out because he was lying. And we rebuked him and told him, either you submit or you leave. I ain't seen the joker since. Why? Because he wanted to draw people away rather than give glory to the living God of the people. Ugh, wish I had time, but I got to move. 
Now we say the cornerstone. This is beautiful. We're going to end on this. We're going to end on this. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. <clears throat> this all has to do with people being added to God's eternal temple. Now, it says we're going to be a holy temple, right? There were several, t- you, had, you had the altar. The altar was the first type of structure utilized as a place of worship. That was used by Abraham when he went to the land of Canaan. Then you got Big Mo and them in Palestine developing the tabernacle. Then you got in 2 Chronicles um, uh, chapter 3, um, 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 Solomon building the temple. Then you got the second temple period of the when the temple was rebuilt based on Ezra chapter 3, verses 13 through 16, and Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. I mean, Haggai chapter 2, verse 9. Now, the prophecy didn't come to pass because the glory didn't return. Why? Because they didn't be fully obedient. So Herod rebuilt the temple during the intertestamental period of 400 years. Jesus Christ came on the scene. When he came into the temple, the Bible says, and the word became flesh and skaneoed among us, meaning he tabernacled. There it is. That means that now the temple is no longer structures that were built with human hands, but now structures that were built by the divine hand of God. And now Jesus Christ became the prototype of new humanity who would be filled with grace and truth, filled with the word of God, and explain God through be connected to the people of God going into a world where people don't have God. Stay with me. So Jesus Christ himself being a cornerstone. A cornerstone wasn't just a little piece like the masons put a little piece in there. That's not a cornerstone back then. So a cornerstone was a big old block that you put, and you started the building with that. <clears throat> and what they would do is they would set it, and the cornerstone had to be set right because every other stone in the structure got its position from the cornerstone. So the cornerstone was to make sure that as the temple got built, it was built based on its position in the structure. If you remove the cornerstone, all the other stones won't work together real nice. Like Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Not no dude, not no honey, not no building, not no ministry. Jesus is the cornerstone. That's why we believe in Christocentrism, because we, everything in our world should be built around him, built based on him. But check it out. He says, in which the whole structure is joined together. Say joined together. What Masons would do back then is they didn't use cement in between bricks. They didn't, they, they didn't use it. You know what they did? They would take each stone. And they would shave it down. And they would shave it down. And and the only way that it would hold together is because it was perfectly in alignment with the the other stone. But what kept the building together was not mortar. It was pressure. (laughs) Pressure. The more pressure you put on the building, the more tightly... Okay, let me see if I can make it plain. I was asking a police officer, I said, how does a bulletproof vest hold, like stop a bullet? He said, oh, that's real simple physics. He said, when you shoot a bullet at a bulletproof vest, he said, it's really, (coughs) he said, if you had the material by itself, you could tear it with your hand. He said, but the way they stitch it and fold it over one another, (coughs) and and you stack them on top of each other. He says, when a bullet hits it, it makes all of the thread stronger. And what it does is it repels the bullet or it just holds the bullet in place, but it doesn't get all the way through because all of the threads individually are working together to fight against the bullet. All I'm trying to let you know now is God blesses through pressure. 
God strengthens the body and joins us together through pressure. You know what he'll do? And what he does is he sands stuff off. You wonder why God is sanding on you all the time? The reason why God is sanding on you all the time is because he's trying to make you fit in based on his view of fitting in, not because of your insecurity. See, God wants to shave off your insecurity because he already got you security. And then he puts us together and he stacks us up, stacks us up, and now we're an organic temple. Or organic organism that's now sticky. Why? Because he shaved off the stuff that causes us not to stick to him or one another so that we can properly be sticky. That means that as a Christian, there is no such thing as inconsistency. There is no such thing as flightiness because you were transformed for the purpose of stability. That's why you're called a stone. That's why your God is called a stone because we are not the one. We're new builders. The old builders rejected this stone, but now he's a stone of stumbling. That's why we should offend for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. And so now we don't stumble on the rock. We snuggle up next to the rock. And what happens is, is every time somebody trusts Jesus as Savior, Another brick is added to the building. All the way up. Now, your man, uh, your man in the Old Testament tried to build a temple to go all the way up, a structure to go up to heaven. And God said, if you try to get unity without me, I'm going to come down and destroy unity because there's no such thing as unity without me. And so I'm going to confuse your languages. But on the day of Pentecost, he started a new temple that was people. And then the thing that he used to make men uh, away, put them away from each other, he used the same thing, tongues, to bring people together. So tongues is more, about, uh, is more about unity than arguments. I wish I had some help today. Um, and so, so, in other words, so this text, this text, what God is trying to help us do is God is trying to help us get unified. We're arguing about tongues, and God's supposed to use that to bring people closer together. But, but it's now divisive, which I believe in. Matter of fact, last night, I'm going to close on this. Went on a date with my wife. We had a free date at Olive Garden. She was looking good, too, but... Um, <laughs> um, but, um, um, you almost made me forget, girl. Good God Almighty. Woo! Hallelujah. So, <laughs> we go over after dinner to borders, right? And my wife always saying, babe, you can't be playing in public, right? It's because she said, you just can't be doing that, right? Um, and so I'm in there, and I, and I pull out the Hebrew Bible, right? And I started reading the Hebrew. And so I was, you know, reading backwards and everything and going like this. I said, now, babe, this is how the, my Jewish people be doing when they be reading the Hebrew Bible, right? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, said, stop doing that. You may offend somebody. So this dude's off in the cut, right? <laughs> and he said, um, he said, are you Hebrew? I said, no, nah, I'm a Christian. He said, he said, okay. He told me this area of Christianity he's from. He said, so you don't believe in tongues? I was like, like, what? What about Jesus? Like, why the first question you ask me is about tongues? Do y'all believe in women preachers? I'm like, what? What the? Do, do, am I even a Christian? Hello? <laughs> it's funny <coughs> how the things, I mean, the things God wants to use to unify us will turn it over and cause disunity. But God said we're supposed to be joined together as an entire structure. As an entire structure, as a holy temple being built, present, passive, participle, into a dwelling place 
for God in the spirit. One day, the Bible says, after death has been swallowed up, and after the lake of fire has taken on all of its rejectors of Jesus, the second death won't have any power over a particular group of people. And we'll be standing there as the eternal temple. And Jesus Christ will already be there, hanging with us on his horse, chilling, with his linen on and his tattoo on his thigh. The Bible says that. And so all of a sudden, a throne is going to appear and there won't be a body on it. It'll be the dwelling presence of grace, mercy, holiness, righteousness. And it'll be a tabernacle. And it'll be among us. And the Bible says that he will be all in all. We will be the eternal temple of God. The same way God's Shekinah glory filled the temple that Solomon built. Now the actual dwelling, not Shekinah presence, the actual dwelling, unapproachable presence of God will live throughout all of us. And we will have a new body that will be able to withstand the beauty of his perfections because it's been upgraded to kingdom value. And now we can look upon God and not die. So maybe you're here today, and you haven't been transformed by this gospel. God calls us to repent. Repent. That means change your way of thinking and turn towards Jesus and believe in him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The Bible says he made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf. He exchanges life and gives, we give him our sin and death, and he gives us his perfection. And when God's wrath was satisfied to destroy his son because he put all his wrath on Jesus, when Jesus died, if you have faith in him and him alone, that switch becomes practically placed into your life by faith. And you're transformed forever, and God's wrath will pass upon, all over you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, we say trust Jesus Christ to save you today. We say believe in him as the only risen lamb today. He was raised up with all power in his hand, and he's coming back again. If you have faith in Christ and Christ alone, then that is what saves you. We got some cards on that back table. We want to talk to you all about it. So if you're here and you want us to discuss it more with you, if you came with somebody that is actually a Christian, talk to them about it. We've seen so many people, over 50% of y'all come to Jesus that way. And so we want to make sure that we're able to engage you, love you, and see the gospel touch you by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we honor you and bless you and thank you for making us sticky. Um, you're wonderful and worthy to be praised and worthy to be honored. Lord God, your spirit, your spirit is powerful, God. And you've called us to be a dwelling place for your spirit. And so God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that your name would be honored, that your name would be praised, and it would be glorified through the way that we join together in you. Help membership not to just be a covenant written on paper, but a passion of our hearts. And I pray in the name of Jesus as we continue to go through this, help us to understand our identity. And help us to be obedient to that identity. But help us most of all to know that we're empowered in faithfulness because of Jesus Christ's faithfulness. 
In Jesus' name, amen.